text this morning comes from John 4. We'll begin reading with the fourth verse. Give attention to this, the reading and the hearing of God's word. Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Verse 9, that the woman of Samaria said to him, Here, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says it to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Um, I'm aware of the time, and I had already planned on making this uh, sermons go over two Sundays. It might be three Sundays now, but we'll have an extended introduction this morning. Though I won't uh, really get to the heart of my topic at all today. I want to thank Beth for starting us out so well and so winsomely on our consideration of what we'll look at in the next couple of months and what is our chief end and purpose and meaning of our living, to love and worship and delight in the living God. It is the reason we breathe. It is the reason we are here. It is the ends for which everything else we do are to be the means. This morning we are going to look at the story of the conversion of a Samaritan woman that brings us to the very heart of worship. But I don't think we can understand what Jesus says and what he teaches about worship without putting it into the context of the story in which he tells us. And so we'll look at that context this morning. The story starts with Jesus deciding to leave Judea and go into Galilee. In between those two, Judea and Galilee, lies Samaria. Uh, The heat of the debate between Jews and Samaritans lies in the fact that for centuries, Jews had considered them to have betrayed the faith to have intermingled and intermarried, and they were known as half-breeds. So hated were the Samaritans by the Jews that the Hebrews would regularly, if they had to travel between Judea and Galilee, cross over the River Jordan and go in different territory and cross back over into Galilee. They avoided Samaria altogether. So it is unusual for Jesus to say that he had to go through Samaria. He would have had to go if he was traveling the way the crow flies, but he could have gone another way. One suspects there was a divine imperative about his mission. Jesus was doing his Father's will by carrying his ministry across cultural and ethnic and national boundaries. It is one of the early indicators that the gospel and the kingdom will be for every tongue and every tribe and every nation. Jesus shows us that his kingdom is going to be multicultural. 
In the ancient history of the 1970s, when I was in seminary, a debate broke out in church growth movement circles, largely out of Fuller Seminary and minds such as Wynne Arnes and Donald McGavern, uh, arguing whether or not the church growth movement should be pursued in light of what was called the homogeneity principle. It was observed that birds of a feather really do tend to flock together. So if the supreme value is to evangelize the world in the greatest number in the shortest amount of time, then it stands to reason that people should take advantage of this principle and seek to grow by forming groupings which are based on similarities racially and ethnically and culturally and in terms of age. And to some extent, that principle is inevitable and inviolable and right and healthy. The principle of homogeneity is an undeniable fact of life. People do tend to gravitate towards people with whom they have common interests. To understand the good news, to understand anything, we have to be able to speak a common language, and we do share interests and hopes and dreams with others who are similar to us. And in honoring of that principle, we have graded Sunday schools and we are adding or really continuing our youth ministry and a youth minister. We uh, have all of that. Welcome again to you, uh, Chris, and thanks for your reading this morning. The problem with these undeniable insights, however, comes when the homogeneity principle is left unchecked and unbalanced by the gospel. When it does, it undercuts the gospel and the kingdom itself. God calls us to go to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the world. We are to cross boundaries and borders and barriers, and God calls us to a larger life than we have on our own, to share his life and his concerns. I joined a church here at Tiburon which understood herself to be a family of faith. To that I added informally and I wish I had formally. Uh, we are a family that wants and is striving to be intercultural and intergenerational. And I pray that in that you appreciate what God has built here and what we enjoy here. We, of course, do have active toddler and elementary and youth programs. We've employed a family and young adult pastor. We have Chinese and Japanese ministries. But people who visit us who are drawn to join us, find an organism and a grouping here quite unusual in a group of 250. It is a work that gives evidence that it has been built not by the flesh and by our natural associations, but by the spirit. Well, we have many ways to grow, and we are certainly an imperfect grouping. We are still in many ways blessed by being a macrocosm of the kingdom, and because of that, we have been blessed indeed. We as a nation have been horrified by the killing of nine Christian brothers and sisters last week at Emmanuel Church in Charleston. I was surprised to learn that 
This was not the largest mass slaying in America at a religious site in 1991. There was another at a Buddhist temple in Waddell, Arizona. But I've been moved by many of the details that got more slight reporting of the massacre of last week. Dylan Root was welcomed into the small group he would later open fire on and sat with them for nearly an hour. He told investigators he almost didn't go through with his massacre because members of that Bible study group had been so nice to him. That is the gospel. Then two stories reported that at the bond hearing, shooting survivors and relatives of five of the victims spoke to Roof directly, saying that they were praying for his soul and that they forgave him. That is the kingdom. And that is why Jesus had to go into Samaria. The next uh, section, even before we get to worship, has to do with a variety of approaches that Jesus makes to the woman and responses to her, but I'm going to save those till next week and the major topic that everything is leading up to. The woman is astonished by who Jesus is and what he does with her and where he leads her and says, surely... Surely there is something about what I'm experiencing and understanding that is messianic. And when he comes, he's going to set everything right. And Jesus looks at her and says, I who am speaking to you am he. And there is a progression in her encounter with Jesus from sir to rabbi to Lord to master to Son of God to Savior of the world. It is a progression from unbelief to belief. Our purpose, we will see in this text, is the glory of God. He has created us. He has commissioned us. He has commanded us to devote our lives to his glory and to all the world. That is our purpose. That is our joy. That is our life. Let's pray together. Living in holy God without you, we know that we are a hollow people. We are shallow and empty without that relationship and that intimacy for which we were made. Father, we delight in knowing who we are because we know we are yours. We are here to praise and worship you and sing glory to your name, not because we have to, but because you are the best thing we have ever seen or known or loved. That is the confession of our living. In Jesus' name.